0: our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 14, we saw where God had delivered the children of Israel by giving them passage through the Red Sea. And remember when you see Red Sea, also known as the Sea of Reeds. But nevertheless, it was the great deliverance into which when the children of Israel had maybe a day or so come out of Egypt and as they were moving through the wilderness, God had told them to change direction so that it would look like they were confused into where they were going with their uh, back against the back against the wilderness and the sea. And so he would use this occasion of the appearance of confusion for the children of Israel to harden the heart of Pharaoh, that Pharaoh would come after the children of Israel for the most part, simply to re-enslave them, to conquer and re-enslave them. And in this instance, God would get ultimate victory over Pharaoh as well as his chariots, his mighty chariots. And we'll talk about that a little bit as we move on through the text of chapter 15. But anyway, and so Moses directed the children of Israel as the Lord had commanded and they moved and their backs was against the sea. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. He came after them in his chariots and the people cried out unto Moses and they cried out unto the Lord and the Lord gave them great deliverance by dividing the sea. And as the children of Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, God separated the armies of Pharaoh from the children of Israel. There was the the divine protection for the people of Israel and as they moved through the sea. And remember now, you got about 2 million people coming through the sea. So this was a great passageway through the sea. And so they can't move instantaneously. So God protected them with that cloud, that same cloud, cloud of glory, that led the people of Israel. He protected the Israelites from the Pharaoh and his chariots by being a divisive wall in between them giving the children of Israel time to pass through the Red Sea. And also God caused great rain and thunder and lightning and earthquake to trouble Pharaoh and his chariots. Because remember, the chariots can move at very rapid pace. So he caused these supernatural phenomenon to happen to Pharaoh and his chariots while they were trying to come through the Red Sea to slow them down. And once the children of Israel had passed safely to the other side of the Red Sea, God then caused the walls of the Red Sea to collapse on Pharaoh and his chariot, killing them all, as the scripture said, leaving not a one of them alive. And the children of Israel came over to the other side and looked back and saw some of the men of Pharaoh had washed back up on the banks, all of them dead by way of drowning. And they therefore worship God and God's great hand of deliverance. Now, when we get into chapter 15, Chapter 15 is basically a song or sometimes you would call it a psalm, but the idea is it is a song of worship with respect to what God has just done in this great event of drowning the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And so they look back, led by Moses in a song to worship God for his great hand of deliverance. Okay, so now as I talk about chapter 15, especially the bulk of chapter 15, I'm going to move through it a little bit different. Instead of reading a segment of passage, I'll pretty much just go through the passage. I read particular verses and highlight those instances of the verses that I think that is worthy of highlighting certain instances, because this song is basically looking back on the events of chapter 14. So. In this song, there will be a rehearsal of the deeds of God and some of the things that took place in chapter 14. They're just recounting them and praising God for what he has done in the event. And this is why I'm going to simply just basically read through and provide commentary dynamically on the fly as we work through the song of Moses. And then when we get to the end of chapter 15, it's gonna go back to the travels. It's gonna go back to the children of Israel now, continuing on their journey toward Mount Sinai. And that's where we're we're gonna start dealing back with as we usually do, reading of the verses, a particular segment, and then I provide commentary for those segments. So it's gonna be a different way of how I provide commentary. More so on the fly, for the song of Moses. And then in the more commentary type sense, by, by via reading of passages at the end of the chapter, because it is different. It's a different type of genre in the particular chapter. Okay, so chapter 15, verse one, then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will extol him. So he simply begins with a song, the song that is uh, scripted by Moses and also joined along by uh, all the congregation of the children of Israel. And they simply sing a song of praise for what God has done in this final act of judgment to the to the Egyptians, especially notably Pharaoh in overthrowing them in the Red Sea. And they call overthrowing his horses and his chariots. And they begin to say how wonderful and strong and mighty their God is. And notice he says, this is my God. And this is in opposition of the gods of the Egyptians and you already know to recall how the plagues of Egypt was done that God may show Egypt as well as all of the world. There is no other God, but him, all gods besides Yahweh are simply powerless idols. And therefore because their God is only true God and we see with respect to this great triumph that God has given my God, they say, we will praise him. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their fathers. The Lord is a warrior, verse three. The Lord is his name, speaking of God's power, and that speaks, and so many of this speaks for itself. God, as a warrior, he is the one who fights Israel's battle. And and this will become important as we see uh, them coming into the promised land and God sending out, and that is through commanding Moses as well as Joshua to equip themselves to fight certain of the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. Ultimately it is the Lord who is the great warrior and the Lord who fights their battle. And therefore they say, my father's God, and I will extol him. Therefore they praise God. The, I'm sorry. The Lord is his name. Yahweh is his name. And that's basically what they're saying there. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea and the choices of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep covers them. They went down into the depths like a stone. And so basically just simply rehearsing once again, looking back on chapter 14, how Pharaoh's army is now drowned in the Red Sea by the mighty hand of God, even into the very depths of the sea. Six, your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And in the greatness of your excellence, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send forth your burning anger, and it consumes them as chaff. And so simply, all he is doing, and you can see for yourself, the poetic vice that is pretty much being used here in the song as it rehearses, when it says the right hand of God, the right hand of God gives the mind of the power of God, the strength of God, okay? And so we can see that, how that is tied with God being a warrior and the mighty deeds of God in overthrowing the Egyptians in the Red Sea. And how it says that it shatters they're enemies and it overthrows all of those who rise up against God. And I like that too. There is a sense of uh, of a pinot, uh, Pinote, and that simply means to look forward even so much into the future, even beyond Psalm 2 and oh, I would like to get into that. And I know I did open a can of worms right there, but uh, when it talks about Psalm 2, oh I can't I'm not going to do it, but the whole point is this. Psalm two is a prophetic utterance dealing with the reign of Jesus. Now, even though it is set against the reign of the Davidic king, but ultimately it looks forward to the reign of Jesus when Jesus comes and he reigns over the nations of the Gentiles and it looks at in Revelation chapter 20 when Satan will be released from his prison, Satan will be released from the abyss and he will go out amongst the Gentiles to deceive the Gentile nations once again, to c- encourage them, to lead them in rebellion against Christ. And that's Psalm 2. But ultimately, Jesus will have the great victory over all his enemies. And so we can see that sense when it says how that he will overthrow those who rise against him. That's why I said pinote. Ultimately, God will have victory against all those who rise up against him. And in his anger, he consumes them like fire consumes chaff, okay? At the blast, verse number eight, the blast of your nostrils, the water were piled up. The flowing waters stood up like a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be gratified against them. I will draw out my sword. My hand will destroy them. But you blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders. Okay, before I get emotional, I like that. But nevertheless, so he just simply, you can see, again, the poetic nature of the song as he envisions God with a blast of his nostril, Part uh 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 dividing the red sea and causing the red sea to- to heap up like a wall, like a congealed wall. And then as he uh, considers what the enemy is saying, what Pharaoh and his army is saying in their mind, how they are determined to pursue and how they are intending to capture them and once again, enslave them. But in all of their great desire to come against God's people, God acts on behalf of his people and what? And with that same nostril, with that same wind, that same water that at once congealed, he caused that wall of water to collapse upon Pharaoh and his army and kill them all and give God and his people victory over their enemies. And so he begins to once again, because the whole song is a song of praise. He begins to praise God for this act. And that's what we basically see in all of this song of his act of great deliverance from the hand of Pharaoh in the Red Sea and began to say, Who is like you, O God? And I like when he simply says, Majestic in holiness. There is none who is holy like our God. Awesome in praises worthy of praise because of what he has done in deliverance that he began in the land of Egypt, in deliverance that he has wrought outside of the land of Egypt in the Red Sea, worthy of praises and working wonders in all that he does. And so he begins to say, verse number 12, you stretched out your hand, your right hand, the earth swallowed them. And when he says the earth swallowed them, that is the idea of the, the waves of the sea covering them. In your loving kindness, you have led the people whom you have redeemed in your strength. You have guided them to your holy habitation. And so there he's talking about, in, and I like this, in his loving kindness, chesed. This is the idea of grace. Okay, this is the idea of grace. And always remember, when we talk about God's grace, this is God's unmerited favor. And when we say unmerited, it simply means that which is undeserved. No one deserves anything, right? Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And what again, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What God does for his people, he does out of his loving kindness and out of his own grace. He does these things for his own glory, according to his own will. God is good to his people. Okay, and that's the idea. And he leads them to his holy habitation. Now, this holy habitation is the reference here in context. uh, uh, There's a general sense. But the contextual sense here is to Mount Sinai, because remember, it's reflecting all the way back to Exodus chapter three, when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush and God told Moses, and this was at Mount Sinai, also sometimes called Mount Oreb, but God told Moses that in the end, he would bring the people back to worship God At this mountain. So this holy habitation in context here, and as we'll see further reference here, is Mount Sinai. Okay, the peoples have heard this is the Gentiles, they tremble. Anguish has gripped the habitants of Philistia. And notice the peoples, the Gentiles have heard of what God has done in Egypt, what God has done at the red sea. They will receive news of the great power of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And what would be the response? They will tremble. Now, I don't want to get into this particular point too much because you can really kind of preach a sermon in this. And it's the sermon of justification. The point is, and so let me say it succinct without getting a lot of details. These Gentile nations, had their gods, their gods were idols, okay? But they heard of the wondrous works of the God of Israel. They heard of his, of Yahweh, of the things that he did in delivering the children of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. Remember what I told you earlier and you saw over and over again in the book of Exodus thus far when God spoke to Moses concerning the deliverance of the children of Israel in doing the things that he did, thus shall the Egyptians know as well as Israel know, even as I told, as I was trying to tell you guys earlier that all the peoples of the world may know cause they're going to hear of these things. What will they know? That Yahweh alone is God. Yahweh is God. So, Even if, okay, holding to your idol gods, dead, worthless, who do nothing, you still know and have heard of the deeds of Yahweh. Dealing with the point of justification, God's justification. That's what I'm dealing with right now. And I know I'm going too far. I wanted to make it short. But God's justification, the point is when these Gentiles still do not turn To the Lord, after having full knowledge that Yahweh alone is God and what God has done, it thereby increases. It shows justification in their judgment because why they are adamant to refuse to reject God, not to turn to God. Having full knowledge of God, they still reject God. Thereby, thereby making themselves, proving themselves worthy of judgment. You got it? So therefore, as God judges the nations, he judges in righteousness. Why? Not only they are worthy of judgment because of their sinful deeds, things that they did by nature that they knew was wrong, but that they knew that Yahweh was God and they still rejected him. The righteous justice in God's judgment, okay? So therefore, what does it say? The inhabitants of Philistia, and we remember that Philistia, remember when it says that when God led the people out, he did not lead them by way of Philistines. These Philistines were the most, the the strongest of the people in the the land of Canaan. (laughs) They were the strongest of people in the land of Canaan that Israel would face. But even notice here the response of the Philistines at hearing of the mighty works of God, they trembled. And this is the idea concerning all of these Gentile nations specifically aimed at those in the promised land to the, which when the Israel will come and God will conquer these Canaanite nations. Okay. And so he says, what verse number 15, then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. The leaders of Moab, Trembled grips, trembling grips them. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are motionless as stone until your people pass over, O oh Lord, until the people pass over whom you have purchased. Don't you like the way it does that? Okay, let me stop here. And so the basic idea is, Simply, just simply praising God, looking at the fear that has gripped the Gentile nations as they hear of the wonderful things that God has done. Fear grips the Canaanite as God's people move toward the promised land. And so then he begins to say, as they, until your people pass over. Once again, the reflection back into the coming through the Red Sea. Notice coming through the Red Sea until your people pass over, until your people pass over. The idea of God's provision and protection until he established the people into the land to which he swore to give them the land of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Okay, continuing verse number 17. You will bring them and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance the place, O Lord, which you have made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord shall reign forever. Okay, now let me just stop there because that's an interesting point to see. So as he continues the song of praise, he looks forward to them, to uh, God bringing them unto the place that God has intended for them. He calls it the mountain of of God's inheritance. Okay. The mountain of God's inheritance. Now do not confuse this with, um, the, the Mount of Jerusalem. Okay. The reference here is again, Mount Sinai, because we have to look at the context, the context. God is not bringing the people into the promised land at this time in the promised land. And even many years later, through David God will show a place to the which God will appoint for the worship of his name in the particular mountain. And that mountain will be in Jerusalem. Okay? We will and I don't want to get into that. I I don't want to open that can of worms. But It will be through when David judges the people and then David offers a sacrifice at the place of Obed-Edom. And then God would choose this particular place at this mountain in Jerusalem. And there God would set a place for his name, which later on Solomon would build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem in the promised land but they're not in the promised land. They are many years from this time. You got to go through the time of the, the wandering in the wilderness, the 40 years, and then coming into the promised land through Joshua. Then after Joshua, the period of the judges, and then after the period of the judges, then the coming of the Kings. And then after the coming of the Kings, that is after Saul and David. And it is through David that these things will be So it is, Very much down the road. So contextually here, when it speaks of the mountain of the inheritance, the place that the Lord has made for dwelling, the sanctuary of the Lord that he has established. It is Mount Sinai. And I just want to simply prove that this time he is speaking of verse 17, not Jerusalem, the sanctuary of God, the dwelling of God. But he is speaking here of this temporary dwelling of God, Mount Sinai where God revealed himself to Moses and he praises God and saying that, "O oh Lord reign forever. All right. 19, the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. And so all he is simply doing is once again, rehearsing as he is drawing the song to a close. He's rehearsing, bringing back to mind as the song closes, how that God brought Israel through the Red Sea on dry ground, but when Pharaoh attempted to do so, he covered them with the waters of the Red Sea and they drowned. Verse 20, Miriam the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. Miriam answered them, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. And so now we have the first mention of Moses's sister by her name, that is Miriam. Oh, by the way, whenever you see the New Testament, Mary, all Mary in the New Testament is Miriam. OK, Mir- Mary of the New Testament is the name Miriam. Same name. But well, anyway, but Miriam here is called a prophetess. And this is the first place that a woman is referred to as a prophetess. And I don't want to talk about how. Ah, I better leave it alone because Miriam is going to get into trouble. You're going to see that in Numbers chapter 12 because thinking of herself in a wrongful way of being a prophetess unto God. But nevertheless, Moses' sister Miriam, and Miriam was a number of years Older than Moses as well as no doubt she was older than Aaron as well. We know Aaron was three years older than Moses and Miriam was a young girl who was able to walk uh, uh, in the Nile and watch Moses as a young baby being uh, taken in by Pharaoh's daughter. But nevertheless, let's go back to the context here in the commentary. Miriam is leading the women in praise with a drum like thing, timbrel, and she is simply following up after Moses, uh, uh, Moses is singing. And now the women are now singing in song and dance in praise to God because of his great deliverance through killing the Egyptians in the red sea. And this ends the song of Moses. Now, uh, personal note, if it was up to me, I would have made this next section, chapter 16, but nevertheless (laughs) continuing chapter 15, Now we change. Now we're going to now change gears and now we're going to continue in the journey towards Mount Sinai as God had commanded Moses to lead the children of Israel to Mount Sinai. And remember now, we are still within, as we're going to see with verses 22 and thereafter, we are still within three days of journeying time towards Mount Sinai. What you also have to remember Freshly in the mind of these people is the power of God. Because remember, that's what we just did. The very song of Moses in destroying the Egyptians, the power of God in the 10 plagues that just destroyed Egypt, seeing fresh in their mind, fresh in their hearts, the power of God as the angel of death. walked through all of Egypt killing the firstborn of man and beast amongst the Egyptians, the cry of the Egyptians, God's great power, such power that they are pray. They just finished praising God for his power of deliverance. All of that is fresh. You must see that as we read the very backdrop of what's going on. This must be the backdrop of what's going on in this next section. As we close chapter 15. Verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying what shall we drink? Now, let me stop there and let me pull up my Hebrew text too as I deal with this particular section. Now, as it says, then Moses led from the Red Sea. So there's the continuation journey. But what I want you guys to see here is the word led. Now, I don't want to take you into a lot of Hebrew grammar, but the word here is Vayasa, Vayasa." And okay, and I don't want to deal with a bunch of Hebrew grammar, but it is in the hifil 10th. So the feel tense that the idea is Moses calls them to go. That's the, that's literally what it's saying. So Moses calls them to go. The idea of the herefield and causing them is that it is not so much that Moses is saying, let us go here. Let us take this direction here. But Moses is simply commandeering the people saying it is now time for us. move. And why is Moses doing this? Because we remember in the book of Exodus had already told us that the people were led by the cloud. So therefore Moses is simply taking the lead in as the cloud is moving and directing them. Moses is saying, okay, it's time to go. So therefore, and it's a beautiful, I like that. So I don't want to get into a bunch of Hebrew grammar. So Moses is causing them and allow me to add this. He is causing them via direction from the cloud. Why? The scripture plainly stated, God led them all the while in the cloud. So therefore, this is God who is directing the people in the wilderness. So that's what you need to see. What? God is directing the people in the wilderness. And what do you also need to see? It is that beautiful. They have been moving for three days as they have come out of Egypt from the Red Sea. Three days journey. Okay, so it is a very short period of time. So you need to see that. And you also need to see the dilemma. There is no water. Remember, there are approximately 2 million plus People out there and they have found no water to drink okay and so they called to. they came to this place they call I'm gonna bring all of this together just give me a chance they came to this place that the name Mara Mara literally means bitter so the name Mara is in retrospect to the occasion that this place had no place of water and that the waters there were bitter. So they came to the place of Mara. There was water at Mara, but the waters were not fit to drink. That's it, they called the waters bitter. And that's why they called the place Mara. It means bitter, okay? And what what was the response of the people? They grumbled to Moses saying, what shall we drink? So now let me bring all of this together for you. Three days, three days journeying, even from the Red Sea. Beauty of this, notice right above, what were the people doing? Praising God for his magnificent hand of deliverance. Saying what? There is no God like unto you, wondrous in praises, with a hand mighty to deliver, how he brings his people through. No God like Yahweh. Yahweh is his name, a mighty warrior. Okay, and in three days, you are complaining again. Notice, reflect back on God's mighty hand of deliverance. Reflect back on how God... Provided for his people, how he struck the Egyptians, how God is a God. There is no God like him. And it only took just a lack of water and three days. If God, the mighty God that he is, had, could deliver in such a way that he does deliver, do you not know that God can also provide and, and I don't want to get premature because this is a test of your faith. This is a test of your faith. Okay, watch this guys. Watch this guys. How did they get to the place where they're because later on you're going to see they're going to be led to a place where there's going to be plenty of water. But how did they get to a place where the waters were bitter? Uh, the cloud. God led them there does God know all things? Yes, he does know all things. So if they are there in a place where there is bitter water and there is no water to drink, then God led them to that place where there was no water to drink. Therefore God knew that he wanted them to believe and trust in him. It was God's will for them to be at this place. Let me say it again, because I got a preaching spirit that's trying to come on me and I'm fighting it. It was God's will for them to be at this place of lack at this place of lack where they should look to him and depend on him, where they should learn to trust him and believe in him and they already should because of everything that he has done. He has already proven himself. Same thing for us. Let me say it this way. I think that apostle Paul said it in first Thessalonians in everything, give thanks. I'm going to preach it and I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you us now in everything, Don't complain like the children of Israel. When you come into lack in everything, when you have no money, when things are going tough for you, when sickness grips your body, when travesty comes into your home, your family amongst your children, it doesn't matter what it is. What did Paul say? In everything, Everything means everything. Give thanks. Why? Keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. The cloud, the cloud. Why? Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is God's will in your life. Just like the cloud led them to this place and they had and experienced the lack and the trials. God is also leading you in your life in this trial. This is God's will for you. Do not mama. Don't complain. Don't get an attitude. Paul said, and see he derives all of this from the children of Israel's wondering it from their the way they acted, he derived this and in saying instead of them being thankful, they murmur and complain. So he says to us, God's people, you now give thanks to God in whatever situation you find yourself in. You know, and see. OK, let me let me. Calm down. He's not talking about when you got a bank account with a whole bunch of zeros, when you got more food in your refrigerator that you don't know what to do with. When your closet is bustling with so many clothes because you've gotten so fat that you can throw some of it away. No, 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 no. He's talking about through times of distress. Learn to give thanks in times of distress. Why? Because this is God's will. God is whether he is testing you or he is strengthening you. What did James say? Count it all joy, my brethren. Count what joy? Money in the bank, plenty of food, plenty of clothing. He said, no. He said, when you are being tested of God, when these temptations fall upon you and you don't know what to do and you need to begin to ask God for wisdom and knowing that God will give you wisdom if you ask him and trust him for that. Okay. Enough preaching, enough preaching, but that's what they should have understood but the point is, now I'm back into commentary here because I don't want to make this unnecessarily long. The children of Israel just had all of these near term experiences. Notice what I just said, guys. This wasn't stuff that happened to them 10 years ago. It just happened. And still they began to mama and complain. And this will set the state. This will set up a foundational reaction that we will see all throughout that 40 years in the wilderness. God will test them by allowing them to come to some point of adversity, lack of water, lack of food or something of that nature. And instead of them learning to trust God, they will over and over again mama and complain. And I say unto you, Christians, no matter what, If you went to the doctor and he told you you had cancer, say not only to yourself, say unto God himself, say to other people when they hear of your cancer, you say to them, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And you're not saying that. Oh, my God. OK. Getting rid of the preaching spirit because you're saying he's going to heal me if he never heals me. My testimony. God is good. Remember what the Hebrew boys said. Remember what they said to Nebuchadnezzar. Remember whether God delivers us from your hand or not. We won't change our mind in praise to God, in recognition that Yahweh is our only God. God is still good. So you're not looking for God to deliver you from such a thing. He might or he might not. Your praise to God is God is good. The first part of Exodus 15, who is like our God. Okay, enough of that. Enough of that. Let's continue. So they went to Moses ah huh? because Moses was that visible person entity that they saw to deliver them what shall we drink as if it's Moses who led them or is it Moses who brought them where they were or is it Moses who's going to provide for them but Moses is the one that they see so they complain unto Moses verse 25 let's bring it to a close then he Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he threw it into the waters and the waters became sweet There he made for them a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. And he said, if you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Then they came to Elam where there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms. I want to shout. And they camped there beside the waters. So let me calm down so I can say succinctly what I need to say. Okay, the people cried unto Moses as if it was Moses and Moses patiently called unto the Lord prayed unto God saying, you know, Lord, help. Well, what shall I do? And so when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the Lord showed Moses a tree and Moses took that tree, threw it into the water and the waters became sweet. So this was God's provision for his people. So the waters of Marah actually became sweet waters and therefore the people were able to drink. And notice what it said here. There he made a statute for them and he made a regulation. He tested them. And now here's what we need to see. This occasion became a test for the people. The statute and the regulation, a principle that Moses via God of God is given unto Moses, a principle. Now, so y'all catch on to that part. This is the principle through this occasion by God testing the people. And he sees this and saw how they reacted, murmuring, negative, bad. This became a principle that God set before the people. And this was a test. And what is the principle? That if you keep the commandments of God, whatsoever God commands you to do that which is revealed to them now, whatever commandments revealed to them at the present time. And we know that later on, God will give them even greater statutes. That is the full law of Moses, okay? But this is the principle, the what? Principle that God is stating here. If you keep God's commandments, you don't have to worry about God bringing on judgments. That is, obedience to the commandments of God, all of them will bring about a blessing. And you will see that later on in the book of Deuteronomy, obedience bring a blessing, disobedient will bring a curse. And this is that point. And this is what he is saying in verse number 25. This is the principle that he is drawing out. If you obey all of my statutes, I will not curse you. And then he brings about, he makes them reflect upon some of the disabilities That came upon the Egyptians because of the plagues and because like the boils and things that would happen to the Egyptians when they had no food to drink because the water returned to blood and water to drink and all of the plagues. So how they were sickness that came in their bodies as a result of the plagues. And that's what he's simply saying. As they reflect upon these things, he's saying, I won't uh, bring these upon you Why? Because I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your God who heals you. I am Yahweh, Rofika, the Lord, your healer. Okay. and so the principle that he is simply bringing about here is be obedient to God and you will not suffer discipline by virtue of physical malady. God will not afflict your body. Be obedient and you will not suffer these things. Okay, now, verse number 27, he talks about bringing them. Now they moved on to Elam to a place. Now, notice this, guys. Notice it. I'm done. Twelve springs of water, 70 date palms. In other words, he led them to a place of plenty. They had plenty of water to drink, plenty of food to eat. Now, here's the thing that I want you to see. The same God. Now, notice very clearly who led them to Mara? You got it. Led them to Mara. He also led them to Elam. What am I trying to say? When he led them to a place where there was no water, that is bitter water to drink. You got it. He also led them to a place where there was plenty of water. He led them to lackness. He led them to plenty. Again, he led them to where he wanted them to be. Wherever he wanted them to be is where he led them. And he led them to a place of lack for a teaching purpose. He led them to a place of plenty also for a teaching purpose so that he would show them he was able to provide. So therefore, whether it was lack or plenty, it was still the place. Catch on. It was still the place where he had led them. So what? Don't get an attitude. Don't mama and complain to where you are, because wherever you are, it is where he is leading, whether he is leading you in lack or whether he is leading you at a time in your life when you have plenty. Let me say it once again. In everything, give lack, give thanks. <laughs> in everything, give thanks. Why? Why give thanks? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you, whether God is leading you tomorrow, a place of lack. A time when he is testing you, a time when things are not going well or where God is when God is leading you to Elam, a time when you have plenty. It matters not in lack or in plenty in everything. Give thanks. All right guys, thanks for joining me in chapter 15. It was a little bit longer than what I anticipated, but nevertheless, I enjoyed it. As we reflect on how the children of Israel Praise God in his great deliverance of them through the Red Sea. And it wasn't even three days later, they began to mama and complain. They forgot. And it yields, it yields back to what I said to you guys earlier in that we don't want to have emotional response to God. Why? Because the feeling would wear off. But we say to God, set your word in our heart." so that we won't sin against you. Why? Because the emotion would wear off. And once the emotion wears off, then you'll really see how faithful you are to God and just where you stand with God. So we even pray, Lord, not the emotion, but give me steadfastness. Or as David said, creating me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. All right, guys, enough preaching for today. Thanks for joining with chapter 15. Join me again as we move into chapter 16 and we start what? The murmuring and complaining all over again. Somehow they never learn. See you then.